You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. There seems to be a perception among Christians that Lutherans are somehow against holy living or against good works. And yet in the Catechism we confess that we ask God's name to be holy among us and that this takes place when the Word of God is taught in its truth and purity and we as children of God lead holy lives according to God's Word. God says, be holy, be perfect, as I the Lord your God am holy and perfect. But does he really mean it? Stay tuned for Equipping the Saints with Pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline. Welcome once again to Equipping the Saints. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Pastor Goodroad, and Vicar Kirstein. We serve the Saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode 63 of Equipping the Saints. We've been working our way for the last uh, several episodes through the book of James. We're nearing the end of our study on James. James chapter 5 has been um, uh, a wonderful a summary and culmination of uh, many of the great points that God the Holy Spirit has brought to light through this uh, wonderful little book. Today we're going to focus on verses 7 through 12. I know that's a big chunk for us, but um, if we're going to finish on schedule, we, uh, we need to cover this section today. So we're going to get right to it. Uh, Vicar, would you be so kind as to read this section in my English translation? There's a little subhead subheading that says, Patience in Suffering. James 5, 7-12. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, We have a couple of words that jump out in this particular section. Obviously, the word patience is uh, paramount here. uh, At the end, we have a very, very famous, often quoted passage, James 5.12, let your yes be yes and your no be no. We want to make sure that we save uh, sufficient time to talk to that in our uh, last segment. But the, the word that jumped off the page at, for me in this section is the word brothers. We've talked about this quite a bit, uh, Pastor Moline, throughout the uh, study 
of the book of James. Uh, the last couple of chapters, we haven't heard the word brothers quite as much, but here again, it's being emphasized. Brothers, brothers. You have brought to mind that um, James is first and foremost a parish pastor, and he is preaching to his congregation, and again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to the whole church, uh, to the whole world, uh, through the inspired, inerrant word of God. The significance, Pastor, on the word brothers, emphasized here in this particular section, why is it important for us to keep this in mind as we conclude our study of James? Yeah, I think it's a really important word, especially considering the context uh, that we talked about last week, right, where he's just said, you fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person who does not resist you. He's, he's really laid the law down upon them, and yet he's still calling them brothers. And I think this indicates that, um, just as we, we say in our confessions, the Christian still needs to hear the law preached to them, uh, both in terms of uh, condemning them as a sinful person as well as uh, training them up in righteousness and how they ought to live. Both of those things are true. And so James is doing just that. He's preaching the law, and yet he knows his audience is Christian, and he's calling out their sins so that it might be forgiven, and uh, that's the way we still do it today. We've talked in the past about uh, why he says brothers and not brothers and sisters. You can check back to some of our previous episodes uh, in that regard. Um, Vicar, how would you define the word patience? What is it and why is it important that, uh, why is that an important, important virtue or attribute for a Christian to hold on to? Sure, yeah. So patience is just long-suffering, right? It is not being anxious about what is to come. It is not, um, yeah, it's good for the Christian to be patient in all things and to wait on the Lord. There's many things in the life of the Christian that we just have to wait for. Um, the return of the Lord is one. Um here also, James uses the example of the farmer needing to be patient, needing to just simply wait for the fruit of the earth as it comes up, needing to wait for the rains, the early and the late rains. You simply cannot rush through these things. And as it relates to suffering then, you have to endure it with long suffering. You have to be patient. You have to wait on the Lord. He has promised to deliver you. We, uh, we live in an instant society. Uh, we eat our instant oatmeal and drink our instant coffee and uh, put things in the microwave so that we can eat them instantly. We drive through fast food. We have uh, auto banking. Uh, everything has to happen right now. And when it doesn't, you get angry. You get mad really quickly. Uh, hence the term that did not exist 30 years ago, road rage. Right. Um, when things don't happen quickly, people fly off the handle, and so patience is in uh, short supply. Uh, Pastor Moline, when, 
when we're talking about patients in this context, James chapter 5, we're not talking primarily about uh, long-suffering in the grocery line. We're not talking primarily about long-suffering with regard to you know getting your uh, card or check in the mail. We're talking about something more significant. And I think Vicar hinted at it. Uh, he, he mentioned it in a long laundry list here, but the, the kind of suffering that a Christian endures requires patience. We have all these uh, sections in Scripture, especially in the Psalms and Proverbs, that talk about your enemies, when your enemies surround you, when your enemies encamp about you, when your enemies attack you. Is this what we're talking about? This kind of patience with the suffering that a Christian specifically endures from the devil, the world, and our flesh? Yeah, I mean, the devil, the world, and the flesh are constantly after us, and I think that uh, the entire Christian life here on earth is suffering, knowing that we're sinful people, that we're unworthy, that uh, we have sin and thought, word, and deed, and knowing that we have this great promise stored up for us in heaven, and yet we aren't there yet. It's this now and not yet thing as we wait for the appearance of our Lord, the parousia. It, you know, in the discussion we're having here, it makes me think, especially with the context later on in this section, uh, that James is really thinking about Matthew chapter 5 and the Sermon on the Mount, especially, you know, uh, thinking of the last couple of Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's really... Our Christian life right now is dealing with those things. The knowledge of the promise, and yet we look around and we don't see that yet. We, we, we must take it by our ears, by faith, by hearing about it, and believing it uh, as the Holy Spirit works. I want to bring out the Greek here, pastors, because um, this is, I think, really pertinent to what we're talking about. So in the Greek, uh, the word be patient, you know, that, the Greek word that he uses here is makrothrumesita. And that's actually a compound word from, formed from two Greek words, macro and thumos. Macro meaning like big or long. Um, thumos meaning like passionate or sometimes your anger, any kind of really intense feeling that you might have here. So the force behind macro through mesita is really kind of like um, be long-suffering or persevere, like Take those really passionate feelings that you have, take control of them, and kind of use them for something good. Just be patient and wait for what God is going to be doing. Um, I think this is really kind of getting at, like, listen, I know that you can be passionate about, you know, for example, God's word. We have, as Christians, every right to be angry at the world for the vast amount of sins that are going on right now. Uh, but James is just saying, be patient. Be long-suffering. The farmer waits for what God is giving to his crops, right? So, as Christians, what do we do? We wait for what God is going to be doing. We, just like pastor, uh, during my vicarage year, I did a study on Habakkuk, where God was constantly telling Habakkuk, just be patient. I'm doing things that you don't know about. 
our job as Christians is to just endure in the word, be patient and long-suffering, and keep our faith. Uh, well said. Uh, Pastor Moline, that gives us a paradox then, doesn't it? Because we're called to make the good confession in this world of sin. We're called to stand up and contend for the truth against the enemies. And yet at the same time, we are to be long-suffering. It's really, uh, you know, as you, as you explained that word, it's, uh, as Vicar mentioned before, we are prone to be quick-tempered. And this is basically saying, be long-tempered, be long-suffering. So, Pastor, uh, in the time that we have left, uh, talk about that, that tension or that balance between making the good confession, contending for the faith, and also personally being long-suffering with regard to the attacks against us. Well, I think that they go together. When you make the good confession, you you do suffer. And the thing you need to do then is to keep your head in the midst of it and know where your reward is as you make that good confession, knowing what the worldly consequences might be, um, knowing that there will be persecution and those who do not like your word because it is the Lord's word. That doesn't change your making of that good confession. There is a lot of suffering here in this world, and it is long, uh, and we must be patient. And uh, the truth is, as Americans, we're not good at either of those. We don't like to suffer, and we don't like things to be slow and to take their time. We want it now, and we don't want any pain. Amen. Amen. Lenski on page 653 says, Although unscrupulous men inflict all manner of wrongs on you, 2 verse 6, 5 verse 4, 5 verse 6, and prosper despite this, their wickedness, Psalm 73, etc., be patient under it all. We need to take our first break. This is Equipping the Saints. We're looking at James chapter 5. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Equipping the Saints. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Pastor Goodroad, Vicar Kirstein. We serve the Saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thanks for tuning in. Be reminded you can check out the previous 62 episodes of Equipping the Saints and hundreds of other programs on uh, our podcast site, KNNA Theological Programming. And, uh, uh, did I say something wrong there, Pastor? You grabbed the microphone very quickly. No, I was putting it up to my face so that I could answer the question when you asked me it, whatever it would be. Okay. Sorry, I will be unprepared in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, back to normal then. Uh, oh, yes. Oh, can you tell that uh, we're, we're winding down on lots of things here? Um, we're looking at James chapter 5. We're looking at the section 7 to 12. Skeptics will say, uh, you only got halfway through verse 7. How are you going to make it through verse 12? And I say, be patient, O ye of little faith. Be patient. Um, verse 7 says, uh, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. 
until the coming of the Lord. Uh, again, uh, according to the Greek, um, the word is not coming there, is it, Vicar? Uh, we have a uh, we have a little more technical term that is used. That's right. Yes, it's uh, parousia, right? So it's the presence, the arrival, the advent. Parousia or parousia. Um, so uh, newly ordained and installed Pastor Goodroad. W- what is that? What w- what is this? Parousia, parousia. What what is this? Uh, fancy church talk to get away from uh, something that uh, everybody should know. Uh, catechize me, would you please? Well, um, as Vicar was just kind of pointing out a little bit, he uh, he has a great definition there. So, <clears throat> coming, arrival, advent. This is especially referencing the second coming of Christ. So, of course, we know the first coming of Christ was his incarnation. The the first. Advent, um, when he came into the world through Mary. Well, this is talking about be patient until Christ comes again. And as Christians, of course, we know the the eschatology type language here is Christ is going to come back, and that is when everything will be fulfilled. Uh, the old world will pass away, the new world will will come into being, and uh, this is kind of what we're all looking forward to as Christians when we say, well, just. Just pray for Christ to come back. Pray for Jesus to come back, you know, because everything right now is tainted, corrupted with sin. We are looking forward to this second coming of Christ. This is what James is telling us, too. Be patient, like we talked about uh, in our last segment. Be long-suffering. Just wait until Christ comes back. Until then, stay in the Word. Be faithful and, and preach the gospel. Pastor Moline, that we have uh, we have a lot of Christians that really have messed up ideas with regard to the understanding, the theology of the end times. We have uh, church bodies that are completely devoted to um, teachings that are aberrant teachings based on Scripture. Uh, Lutherans believe what the Scripture teaches, uh, an amillennialist view of the end times. It's kind of boring, uh, but it brings great comfort. It's too bad that we don't have a time in the church here when we can just like focus on the end of the year or the distinctions between um, Christ coming in the incarnation, Christ coming at the end of the world, Christ is always with us in the uh, uh, means of grace. Um, isn't it too bad we don't have a time in the church here for that? Yes. <laughs> no, and you're, you're joking, I know. Um, it, there is a time of the church here for that. It's the, uh, the last few weeks of the church year, the last Sunday of the church year, and even a little bit the beginning of Advent. In those particular times, that's the focus uh, of our worship and our attention to God's Word. We even have uh, one of the greatest um, Lutheran chorales that's all about that, Wake, Awake, for Night is Flying, uh, which we ought to sing often, especially in that particular church year, uh, time of the church year, and uh, that's the time where we remind ourselves that Christ's return is good news for us, and that uh, we'll be leaving this world and entering the world that is to come victorious through Jesus Christ, who has overcome this world, and uh, who has made all things new by the suffering and death that he accomplishes. Well said. I uh, I just want to encourage any pastors that are listening here or lay people that have influence in their congregation. So often, 
uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, the, the month of November, which is where those last Sundays in the church year almost always fall, so, much, so often the month of November is devoted to stewardship campaign, friendship Sunday, evangelism Sunday, uh, comfort dog Sunday, anything. Thanksgiving. At, at, at Thanksgiving. Anything and everything to take your attention off of the end of the world. And uh, pastors oftentimes uh, are very, very quick because these passages are not always easy to reflect on and to preach on and to study. And I would just encourage, this is what people hear, need to hear. This is where people are at. And the same way that James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is encouraging suffering Christians to be patient until the parousia, this is a beautiful opportunity at this particular time of the year, every year. We have our, our newscasters that are standing in front of the uh, waves of the ocean as the hurricane comes in, or they're standing out as the tornado comes or the floodwaters rise. The people have this end-of-the-world stuff, this scare tactics in front of them all the time, and we have the answer. We have the antidote, God's Word in its truth and purity. And so often these uh, end-of-the-world ideas are put into our attention in a non-Christian way. I mean, just think about this summer, right, where we uh, have political turmoil, right? Who's going to be the next president? We're just beginning that uh, that process in our country. We have all this discussion about heat waves and global warming and the oceans rising and the end of the world by fire and smoke uh, that's blowing in and the, uh, the sun is red in the sky. We see uh, violence, especially, and I don't know if you've seen this in the news lately, um, you know, conflict in the, the modern nation state of Israel where there's rioting in the streets and the potential for a civil war. There's war in Ukraine between Russia and Ukraine and all these things are put in front of us as signs that things are going badly and that the end is near. But in the midst of it, we seem to lose sight of the good news that Christ has overcome and that he's actually the Lord of the end of the time uh, and the world and that in him our hope ought to be. One of the great themes in uh, the season of Advent uh, and the first two Sundays in Advent hit this head on. But uh, one of the great themes in the season of Advent is Psalm 24. And Christians, with the confidence of the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation in Jesus Christ, we can lift up our heads. We can lift up our heads because we know that when Christ comes, and as he comes even today through the means of grace, we can have the full confidence that God is for us and not against us. Uh, we could talk about this verse all day long, you know that, but we're going to move on. Uh, we already talked a little bit about the patience of the farmer. Um, we've had kind of a strange year this particular year that we're recording uh, with regard to June being very dry and hot, July being very wet and cool. Uh, I remember years and years ago, uh, lamenting the fact that uh, we had had such a dry winter and spring. And I said to my brother, I says, uh, you know, I can't, I can't believe this. The farmers are planting their seeds in dry ground. And my brother looked at me and he said, uh, little brother, don't worry. 
nobody has ever dried out in May. And he's right. It's exactly the point that James is making. Be patient. Be patient. Just like the farmer is patient. The rains will come. God will provide. He gives us our daily bread as we need it. Verse 8. You also. So he goes from the general, be patient. Now he's getting very specific. You also, be patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. We've talked a lot about this parousia, coming of the Lord, Advent, uh, second Advent, uh, means of grace. What does it mean, Pastor Goodroad? What does it mean to establish your hearts? That seems like kind of a cryptic phrase. Um, well, what should our hearts be established in? Uh, that's that's kind of the question that, that we're asking here, right? Um we should establish our hearts in everything that God has told us. Uh, that's kind of, I've said that a couple times in this radio show already, you know. Where, where should we establish our hearts in everything that God has promised? Because God cannot lie. Uh, and he has told us many, many times before that Christ is coming. He will come back and he will make all things new, including you, dear Christian. So we need to establish our hearts in the promises of God. Is this uh, is this kind of a... Uh like a firm footing kind of an example or illustration pastor, or am I, am I misreading that? Um, Yeah. I mean, so the word that's used is de rizzo, right? Uh, Which is this word that really means standing on the roots, right? Uh, It comes from two words, again, a compound word, rizzo, roots, uh, and then uh, stello, uh, which in this sense is used in stele. You've seen in Egypt, those big, tall, uh, stelas, right? The big tall stones that are 90, 100, 150 feet tall that they stood up. That's where this word comes from. Uh, stay standing like one of those stones, rizzo, on the roots. That's what we're doing. We're standing firmly on what our foundation, our roots are, and that's Christ Jesus as we wait for his return. And uh, the only way we can continue to stand firmly on those roots is if we are built straight up in that way. We can't have odd conclusions or branches that are weighing us down one way or the other. We must stay firmly, foundationally on Christ crucified and risen as we wait for his return. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord. Christ and his word is that rock upon which we build. And quite frankly, the rock upon which the Holy Spirit builds his church and our faith. In uh, verse 9, it uh, continues, and we've had this thought brought out earlier, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. I don't know how much of the uh, previous conversation that you uh, remember, but this is the not the first time we've had this whole judge thing being brought up. Uh, I believe it was in chapter 3 where we had this uh, judging, be judged, the judge is at the door kind of language and reflection. Pastor, when we grumble against one another, how is that sinful judging? Well, uh, what we're doing, according to what we read before, is we're putting ourselves in the place of God in that way uh, by 
by saying something about another one, grumbling about them, complaining about them. We're doing the work that actually is reserved for God. That doesn't mean we don't speak what God's Word says, right? If, if uh, you know, someone is sinning with hate in their heart or with uh, uh, theft or with murder, we, we call that out, but we let God's Word be the thing that does it. We don't place ourselves into the situation and grumble and complain as if we ourselves are the ones who determine who's right and who's wrong and what's right and what's wrong. We let God's word be that judge itself. We we have just a little bit more on that passage with regard to connecting the judge and judgment day, but uh, we're going to have to get that on the flip-flop. Don't change that dial. This is Equipping the Saints. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Equipping the Saints. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Pastor Goodroad, and Vicar Kirstein. We're four manning it again today uh, for a short period of time. Uh, Pastor Goodroad and Pastor Moline announced that when the study of James is over, that uh, they will be embarking on a new study, and that will be the book of Proverbs. And so um, any uh, questions or comments that you have that you would like them to address in the upcoming episodes of Equipping the Saints, make sure that you uh, call or write or text uh, Pastor Goodroad and Pastor Moline, and I'm sure they'll be happy to uh, consider them and address them as uh, they are able. We are working our way, concluding our look at the book of James. We're in James chapter 5, specifically verses 7 through 12. And uh, we were on verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Um, Pastor Moline, during the break, just emphasized again and again and again that uh, James here keeps referring us back to the Sermon on the Mount, to the clear teachings of Jesus. He's a model preacher in this way, giving little shorthand statements and uh, reminding the people of the words of Jesus, judge not lest ye be judged. Um, what was the other one you specifically mentioned? Well, they're both in Matthew 7. Judge not uh, is in there. And then also, uh, I stand at the door and knock. Uh, that's in chapter 7 as well. Okay, um, great. Whoever knocks will be opened. Great emphasis on this whole patience and grumbling and judging all these things woven together. I, Victor, can, I, oh, oh, go ahead. Can I say real quick? It ought to really call us out to repent and to do better in the future that James can say these little phrases and open our minds to all these sayings of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospels. Um, and yet we, as people today, don't know the Gospels well enough to have that work for us, that we ought to repent and read the Gospels more clearly. I also want to say we talked about this being a very early letter, and the fact that James can say these words to refer back to the Gospels indicates that the Gospels at least are uh, written at this point, or at least verbally being passed along, and so the Gospels are not a later invention as well. So those two things, I think, are important for us. I, I will uh, echo everything that you said, and I will expand, because as you read the pages of the New Testament, they do the exact same thing with the Old Testament Scriptures. They do. And if you don't know the Old Testament Scriptures, you just miss out 
on so many of these wonderful little connections and word pictures that are there. And the more you study your Bible, the more you read your Bible devotionally, the more you spend time in the Psalms and the Proverbs. It's just like the firecrackers of Fourth of July. As you read through Scripture, you, you have all these wonderful connections. You don't need your cross-reference thing in the middle of the Bible because the Holy Spirit is cross-referencing it in your brainwaves. Easy. Okay, pa uh, Vicar, I have a question for you. Uh, I want to wrap up verse 9. It says, um, you know, in the ESV, um, don't grumble so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. We've talked a lot about this parousia, end of the world stuff. Is there any connection between judge, meaning God, and this end of the world talk that he has introduced here in James 5? Is there going to be judgment at the end of the world? There will be, yes. And Christ will return on that last day as the judge, as the final judge, as we say in the creed, to judge the living and the dead. So there on the last day when the Lord returns, he will separate the sheep from the goats, the good from the evil, those whom have been baptized into Christ, those who have Christ's righteousness and his innocence on them. They will go to be with our Lord forever, and those who have been judged to be evil will be separated from God for all eternity. So I better clean up my act so that I don't have to be standing in fear and terror on that last day, right? The day of repentance and salvation is today. Okay. See, that's, that's the thing. We have boldness and confidence to stand up and lift up our heads as we live in this repentant joy, as we live in this um, baptism part four of Luther's small catechism, daily contrition and repentance. It's not an either or, it's a both and, and that is always a challenge to preach and teach to the people of God. I think James does a marvelous job of it here. Pastor Goodroad, in verse 10, it says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. What is James referring to? Uh, he doesn't tell us any prophets' names. He doesn't give us any situations. He doesn't give us any details. Uh, take the prophets. What in the world am I supposed to get from that? Um, well, you're supposed to look at the prophets just like just like James says. You know, there are so many. I think all of the prophets have been uh, were martyred or or killed in some way or another just for preaching the actual word of God. Uh, as you read through Acts, I think that there are multiple scathing sermons that the apostles preach to the people that uh, say that exact thing. It's like, listen, uh, all these people that God sent, you have killed. And then up to the very last one, Jesus Christ, the very son of God, you also killed. I think in Matthew as well, there's even the, the parable of the vineyard where the owner of the vineyard, he leaves and he sends people back to collect things from the vineyard that he rented out to these people. And they continually beat his servants and threw them out of the vineyard until finally the owner of the vineyard sends his son to go and collect the rent, uh, the things that the owner should be rightfully getting from this vineyard. And what do the renters, the, the keepers of this vineyard do? They say, let's kill the son so that way we can get his inheritance. Uh, this is what James is talking about here. Just proclaiming the word of God makes you a target, not just for the world, 
but especially for Satan. Satan will constantly attack you in every way possible through your faith, through trials and tribulations that he puts you through, or trials and tribulations that he'll even put your family and friends through, just for being connected to someone who faithfully proclaims the word of God. Amen. Amen. Uh, Pastor Moline, we have this word uh, that's translated uh, hardships or suffering or whatever uh, in our English translations. Kakopathia? Kakopathia? Uh, Am I getting that close? Yeah, you're pretty close. Okay. And uh, this... This takes us back to earlier, I want to say chapter 1, maybe chapter 2, about the base things, suffering the base things of this world. This isn't just like, you know, you're having a bad day or you're having like general run-of-the-mill hardships. This is suffering of the most intense and base kind uh, based on the, the way Satan works in our world and the way he attacks and afflicts Christians. Um, did the prophets really suffer in that way? Yes. Uh, and uh, perhaps the one that um, you can look at to see this most clearly, although you could do it really with most of them, but I, I think of Jeremiah, you know, the weeping prophet um, who uh, really faces lots and lots of hardship, you know, being put into the stocks, being thrown into a pit. Um, and yet he keeps on preaching God's word faithfully throughout all these hardships, you know, more than there's time. You can read the book of Jeremiah to see all of them. Uh, he, he keeps preaching God's word faithfully because God sent him to preach, and it doesn't go well for him. And you, you always wonder, you know, um, we don't face that today. Not in the same way, right? If, if I was thrown into the stocks publicly in the square, would I keep on proclaiming God's word therefrom? Uh, it's, a, uh, it's a question that I haven't had to answer yet, and God, God be merciful uh, if it comes, you know, that uh, I am faithful to be able to do that. But uh, there is a lot of that very bad suffering that the prophets faced. And uh, it could be in store for us in the future. We do not know. Uh, we rely on a gracious and merciful God. Um, Pastor Goodroad, it says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Um, my, my Greek is not as sharp as you and uh, your, uh, your uh, Greek expert brother, <laughs> but uh, you knew I was going to get that in there, oh, didn't yeah. you? Oh, yeah. um, but it seems to me that uh, James is using the word laline and not... Legine or Legan or Keruxe. Yes. Or um, this this is uh, this is more than just uh, making a comment or oh by the way, isn't it? Help me out here with this. They spoke in the in the name of the Lord. So yeah, it's it's from the Greek word laleo, which is kind of uh, speaking freely. It's not necessarily a uh, super well-prepared speech that everything has been written down. It is kind of just a God has given this word to the prophets to just speak freely and openly and let it flow freely from their mouth um, to proclaim this absolutely everywhere and not stop proclaiming it. There's not like a beginning or an end to this speech. It is the prophets have been given this to just go and talk about until they die and that's what they did 
It's a, it's a part of their life. It's a part of their fabric. It's a part of who they are. Vicar, at the end of verse 10, it says, uh, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. What is it? What did they just tack the name Jesus on everything that they say? What does it mean to speak in the name of the Lord? To speak by God's authority. They were ones sent by God with God's word to speak his word to the people. And so they have the full authority of the Lord when they speak in his name. And how did, how did they know what words to say in the authority of the Lord? How, how did they know that? Did they, did they get like visions and dreams or where did this come from? The Lord revealed it to them through the Holy Spirit. Okay. They knew exactly what the message was that they were given to say to the people. And so it could have been in a vision. It could have been in a dream. It could have been in some direct revelation. It could have been in the word that was passed on generation to generation. And I'm reminded of the book of Hebrews because in the olden days, uh, God spoke through many and various ways. But, But how does he speak to us today? Through his son. Through his son, the word, the word, the word. And we can get great confidence when we speak in the name of the Lord because just like Jesus, we're speaking with authority. It makes people will notice that. It makes me think of the catechism. You know, God's name is kept holy when the word of God is taught in its truth and purity. And we, as the children of God, also lead holy lives according to it, which you can almost say that's a lot of what the entire book of James is about. Uh, that is much of what the entire Christian faith is all about. Uh, briefly, verse 11, uh, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. That takes us back to James chapter 1, verse 12. Uh, uh, blessed are those who are steadfast in trial. They will receive the crown of life. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. So now he does give us one specific prophet or Old Testament patriarch. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Pastor Moline, in the few seconds that we have left before the end of this, compassionate and merciful. How does that sum up the attributes of God? I I mean, I I don't know how to say it any better than that, than just to say that's who he is by identity. Uh, John says, uh, God is love, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son, Jesus Christ, to bear our sins to the cross, bleed, and die in our place. And so uh, that's compassion and mercifulness there. That compassion word, uh, it's it's got the funny-sounding Greek name, and uh, give us 20 seconds of history on the worship understanding of that word. Yeah, uh, actually, that particular word, uh, splagna, is here, except this is uh, a, a different version of it because it's palusplagna. So many uh, movements of the guts uh, in compassion for us. And so it's even um, intensified with that palu there. Polygon comes from palu, many, right? Uh, he has many movements of the guts on our behalf. <laughs> I love that. I love that. We need to take a break. This is Equipping the Saints. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNA. LP 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska.
Welcome back to Equipping the Saints, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Pastor Goodroad, Vicar Kirstein. We serve the Saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Join us for worship if you're in the area, 8 and 10.30 on Sundays, Wednesday evening year-round at 6.30. Check out our website, thecross957.org. We're in James chapter 5. We uh, have been working and working and working to verse 12, and we're finally there. Verse 12 is a often quoted, very significant verse. It's, uh, it's also kind of a transition verse. Many English translations include verse 12 with the previous section, patience in suffering. Uh, there are some translations and uh, some Greek editions um, uh, that include verse 12 with the following, with uh, uh, verse 12 through 20, the end of the chapter, the um, last admonitions or regarding prayer in distress and in sickness. Um, I, think it, I think you can make a case that verse 12 goes uh, as a conclusion to the previous section and as a great introduction to the next section. So it is uh, truly one of those uh, wonderful transitional verses. Um, but above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Uh, again, for, I think, the third or fourth time in this brief little section, we have that word brothers emphasized, and I think that's important. Uh, do not swear. Do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. Do not swear. It seems to me that we have a commandment about swearing, Vicar. Is, uh, is that correct? Yes. I mean, here... James is also probably drawing on from what our Lord said in Matthew chapter 5 when he says, Do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God. Um, in, your, in your interactions with fellow Christians in the world, um, you don't always need to be swearing by heaven or earth or any oath. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. I mean, it's really, it's quite simple. Which isn't to say that there is never a situation where you could not swear an oath. Um, in the civil realm, there are situations and circumstances where it is appropriate to swear as, with God as your witness when you are giving a testimony, say, in a court. That would not be a sin in order to do that. Right, because what is the implication if you are swearing by you know this, that, and the other thing all the time that... Oh, uh, yes, I, I swear to God, I am telling the truth this time. Oh, <laughs> the implication time. then is exactly, Vicar, this time. That, so you're saying all the other times you're not? That's, that's kind of, I think, what the thrust of this Matthew passage is talking about. It's, well, you don't need to. Just always tell the truth. We do it in subtle ways, too, uh, because people, you know, they won't, often say, I swear, I swear by my grandmother's grave. Sometimes they will, but most of the time it sounds something like this. Uh, hey, I, no, it's true. I, I, I'm really telling you the truth. I, I, I really mean it. As if 
before they weren't telling the truth. They didn't really mean it. That's what's implied. And so we have a lot of this kind of nonsense going on. We see it in the political realm all the time. Oh, no, uh, I, I, did, I didn't know about that uh, secret stock information. No, no, I'm telling you the truth. I do not recall. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we have a lot of that. And this oftentimes creeps into the life of a Christian, and we don't even realize it. We don't even realize it. Pastor um, Vicar and Pastor Goodroad were, were talking about, you know, there are appropriate times for a Christian to give an oath or to swear an oath. Uh, I'd like you to weigh in on that. Uh, do you agree with that? And if you do, what would be some specific examples? Yeah, I think there are uh, specific times, as the vicar said, you know, when you are uh, testifying in a court of law, you know, you put your hand on the Bible, you raise your hand and you say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Uh, So help me God, I don't know if they use that exact phraseology any longer or not. But in that particular instance, it's appropriate. Uh, I think it's appropriate to do it when you're speaking in defense of someone else as well. Uh, Perhaps not in a court setting, but... um, you know, where you're defending the reputation or the good name of someone else uh, in keeping the Eighth Commandment. Where where the limitation is, I would say, and I think they both hinted at it, you should not do it as a means of self-justification, right? That is and a beautiful observation. Beautiful. So if you're not self-justifying, it is appropriate to use God's name. Uh, as we say, you know, uh, in the... Uh, small catechism again, to use it the right way and not to use it the wrong way. And that's where the distinction needs to be made. What about, Pastor, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk in our world with regard to Christian nationalism, and you've got 50 different um, definitions of what Christian nationalism is. What about a Christian who is elected to a political office? or a judgeship, or something like this. And they are required to swear an oath of office. Uh, We see this more prominently when a president is inaugurated. Um, We're we're not talking about, um, you know, telling the truth there uh, so much as acting like a Christian in the name of God when you're taking an oath on the Bible or taking an oath in the name of God, uh, is it appropriate for a Christian to to serve in that way and to take that kind of an oath? You said a lot of things there. I'm going to focus on the last part. Uh, is it appropriate to take an oath of office? I think as a Christian, uh, you are uh, able to serve in public office. I think it is appropriate for you to do so, and I think that you can do that um, in terms of Uh, understanding that all authority ultimately derives itself from God. And so you have an office that has particular authority given to it by God, and you act within that authority and not placing yourself above God. In that sense, it is appropriate to swear that oath of office. And I think if you understand that correctly, that that's a good and God-pleasing thing to do. I think that part of the problem that we have with all governments on earth um, is that they are full of sinners and they are in a sinful world. And oftentimes those oaths of office are done as a public show 
to cement support from the common people like you and me rather than to actually acknowledge how the authority derives from God and works through these um, these offices within a particular government. So if it is a public show to cement support, then you probably, you shouldn't do it. But if you're understanding it correctly, it is good and God-pleasing. And that's, I, I don't know if I'm making sense. No, you are, but that's really with any aspect of the Christian life. Anytime you're doing it for a public show, you're a hypocrite and uh, your faith is not your faith is not genuine. So. When, when it's more important that it's the Lincoln Bible rather than... Uh, God's word written down as passed down to us through prophets and saints of old, then then you have a problem. Amen. Uh, if it's uh, more important, you know, that uh, people see you doing it and you're on the Twitter and the YouTube and the CNN and all these things instead of actually uh, caring about what it is that you're promising to do, therein lies the problem. And that's why it's better to put your trust in God than to trust in princes, better to put your trust in God than to trust in man. Okay, I'm going to shift gears now, but uh, tangentially, uh, what about when Christians get married? Are they swearing an oath before God that they will be faithful to each other? Is uh, is this a type of an oath? Um, yeah, it is. I mean, so I don't have a hymnal right here in front of me. I know you've got one over there by you. Uh, if you look at what it says, right, uh, we are gathered before God and these witnesses. Sound, uh, sounds kind of oath-like to me. It is. Um, and in a sense, too, it is acting in the public sphere when a pastor is doing that um, because there is that. But we have that very clear that we're putting in the proper place where these events are taking place, right? Uh, we are gathered in the sight of God and before his church to witness God acting and uniting this man and woman in holy matrimony. And so again, it's putting things in the proper perspective and the proper order and that we're understanding who is the one doing the work there. And in that sense, that oath is God-pleasing for a husband to be there and to support his wife for better, for worse, in sickness and in health in the same way for her to submit in all those ways as well. Amen. Amen. Vicar, it says, uh, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Um, that sounds very familiar with regard to, again, the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus' words. Is J James using it in the same context as Jesus, or is he making a different point? Well, I believe he's just simply echoing the words that he would have heard from Jesus throughout Jesus' earthly ministry. Um, simply tell the truth. Simply be, be Christians to one another, and when you say yes, mean it. When you say no, mean it. You don't have to quantify it. You don't have to try to justify it. Simply tell the truth and deal with each other how Jesus deals with you. You don't have to worry about Jesus being wishy-washy with you. When Jesus says yes, he means it. When he says no, he means it. When he tells you something, it is to be believed because Jesus is not a liar. I think that's a great connection because so often, you know, we like to uh, play with the truth and have various levels of gray with regard to black and white and the things that we say. And we transfer that onto God. 
and think that he is speaking to us in his word the same way. And that is a horrific way to look at God's word. God is not going to lie. He's not going to deceive. When he says that his love for us is real, he means it. When he says, this is love, not that you love God, but that I loved you and uh, sent my son to be the atoning sacrifice for your sin. He's not hedging. He's not fudging. He's saying it exactly how it is. And uh, we can take that to the bank. And as Christians, we should ask the same way. Ve- uh, Pastor Good wrote, um, it says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is this uh, going back to that end of the world judge is at the door kind of condemnation or does he have something else in mind well why not both i don't know if you've seen that meme before online (laughs) (laughs) um it's it's definitely both you know it's uh just be christian that's what james is just doing over and over exhorting us christians brothers just be christian uh don't fall under condemnation so that if you were to go out in public and say or do anything no one will have anything against you um don't don't say something and not mean it. In other words, uh, do not break the Eighth Commandment. Don't lie. Just tell the truth all the time. That's what we Christians do. What do you think, Pastor Moline? Uh, I agree, and I think that that's, um, you know, as we're very careful to understand what the purpose of civil government, if we're taking an oath in a court or in an office, the purpose of civil government is to punish evildoers, right? Uh, in that sense, keeping our neighbors safe. And so that is the purpose of civil government, and we should be concerned about being condemned therein if we are breaking the rules and the law. Even more important, though, as you said, is that— uh, uh, we don't want to receive the ultimate condemnation which comes from God at the moment of our death. And in that sense, it's more important for us to be Christian as well than it is to be um, a citizen of a, a nation or a state that's going to be destroyed on the last day. And so both of those things, we have certain consequences and things to worry about, um, but one of them is definitely more important than the other. When we lie, it harms not only ourselves and not only our neighbor, but also our relationship with God. And uh, when we are justifying ourselves, as is often happening when we are lying, uh, we're sending a message very clearly that we don't want and don't need the justification that Christ has given through his life, death, and resurrection. Very, very dangerous stuff. Uh, Thanks for tuning in, equipping the saints, James 5. We'll finish up James in our next program. Thank you for tuning in. God's richest blessings in Christ. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.